I absolutely love storytelling. I've re- I've always loved the skill of public speaking, presentation skills, storytelling. Uh, it's always something I've kind of hung my hat on. But recently, I'm extra obsessed because I'm finding new, more profound ways in which this art and skill is so powerful in life. You're not being heard the way you deserve to be heard. You're not being paid attention to. You're not resonating well enough with people. You see, you could... You could buy people's attention. You could get them to notice you, sure. But to get them to trust you, to listen to you, to to get them to pay closer attention and even take action, you have to resonate. You have to connect. And there's no better way to do that than with the power of stories. But one of the beautiful things about storytelling as well is I like to call it the storytelling habit because it's not just about having a formula for how to tell a story. I'm going to go through a formula here on this podcast, but it's not just about having a formula. It's about having a storytelling habit. I have personally experienced and also seen many other people personally experience the crippling desire to get it perfect the first time. You latch onto some storytelling formula or uh, methodology and you painstakingly go through every detail to try to get the perfect story. But the perfection comes through refinement. That's what a storytelling habit does for you. It gives you opportunities for refinement. As you tell the story, as you get the bare minimum, minimum viable story, if you will, out there into the world... You can then tell it again and again and again with a storytelling habit and refine it and get it to the point that it truly resonates and connects with people. So in this podcast episode, I am going to be a little, I'm going to go through a great deal of ideas that have been on my mind that I've been jotting down on paper and on my computer and in little sketches and designs and quotes that I've been pondering Because every time I've sat down to write these ideas out into a single coherent narrative, I have personally been crippled by the desire to make it flow perfectly and work the right way the first time. And I just have to come to terms with my own ideas here that it's not going to be perfect the first time, that I've got to get it all out there some way, somehow. And I believe that this podcast episode is the way to do that. So in this podcast episode, I'm going to walk you through How to Tell Better Stories, S-T-O-R-I-E-S, the acronym STORIES. I'm going to walk you through how how, how that works. I'm also going to walk you through how to set up a storytelling cadence where you can tell regular core stories that are true to your message on a frequent and regular basis so that you can continually refine them and get better at them and build loyalty with them. If you wait till you've got the perfect story, you may, you may only get a handful of opportunities to connect with the people you seek to serve. But if you build a habit of telling stories, you're going to connect with a lot more people and you're going to become a lot better at storytelling. You've just got to keep up with it, keep doing it. And then there's a handful of other ideas that I'm going to walk you through that I've got written down from lessons that I have learned uh, being a member of Story Republic. 
It's a group put on by Bernadette Joie for alumni of the Story Skills Workshop. It's a workshop I did about a year ago or so. I've been in the Story Republic group for, uh, I want to say, a, a month now. I show up every week to these storytelling calls. Uh, I post daily stories as part of my storytelling habit, and I get feedback, and I've learned a ton of tremendous lessons from developing this habit, from practicing these skills to build power selling pros, our company, through uh, stage presentations, webinars, podcasts, emails, live streams, uh, short videos. I I am actively practicing and using everything I'm going to talk about here on this episode. What this episode really is, is it's an opportunity for me to refine these ideas, get them out there, and then hopefully uh, add some more structure and coherence to it all. So bear with me. If, uh, if at any point throughout this you're thinking, gosh, I'm not sure about that particular idea, send me an email, Zach, Z-A-C, at Zach Garside, Z-A-C-G-A-R-S-I-D-E dot com. I'd love to hear your feedback. For now, let's get on with the first part of this episode, which is how to tell better stories using the stories that sell framework. It's uh, kind of the name I've, I've coined here for this framework. S-T-O-R-I-E-S. Stories is an acronym that stands for Describe the situation, that's the S. Tell the trigger, that's the T. Show the obstacles, that's the O. Reveal the resolve, that's the R. Embed an insight, that's the I. Tell the ending, that's an E. And show the shift, that's the S at the end of stories. Let me walk you through each of these. If you can compose a story using these elements, you will be able to engage more people, resonate more, connect more with the people you seek to serve, get better results, tell stories that sell. The first note though, before I get into each individual principle, is oftentimes when we look at these types of frameworks, we think to ourselves it has to be in perfect cadence. Step one, then step two, then step three, then step four. What I have learned though in practice is that it doesn't need to be in a perfect sequence every single time. You know, describe the situation, tell the trigger, show the obstacles. But you do need to include all the ingredients. It doesn't need to be a then relationship, this, then this. It's an and relationship. Describe the situation and tell the trigger and show the obstacles and reveal the resolve. If you look at great stories through history, they don't all necessarily start by describing the beginning situation. Sometimes stories begin with the insight. A storyteller will say, I learned that you truly can never judge anyone without being willing to want every single part of their life. Or sorry, you can't be willing to envy anyone, not judge. You can't be willing, you you can't envy anyone unless you are willing to want every single part of their life. So you can start with that insight and then you can go into the story. So again, the stories framework is not a this, then this, then this relationship where it's all in perfect sequential order every single time. It is an and relationship where you have to have ingredient number one and two and three but they don't necessarily have to go in that order. As another example, then I'll get into the principles. Uh, the, the best superhero movie ever, in my opinion, is not a Marvel Studios film. It is The Dark Knight, directed by Christopher Nolan. The beginning of the film opens 
on a band of criminals descending on a bank with Joker masks on, robbing said bank and killing each other. It's high drama, high climax. Uh, It's showing the obstacles, showing the the drama and the challenge that is ahead for the hero of the story, which is Batman. So that actually leads me into another pre-point to these principles. Um, The first thing, foundational principle that you have to understand is number one, this is not a perfect sequential relationship necessarily. It can be, and you probably should start there if you're a beginner. But really these principles are meant to be a relationship where they're all included, but they don't have to be in the right order. It can be this and this and this, not necessarily this, then this, then this. That's the first insight to take away from this. The second is you always have to clarify when you're telling a story what perspective you're telling it from. Who is the main character? And are we telling this from the first person perspective or the third person perspective? The first person perspective is I baked the cake. You know, I cleaned the house. I am telling it from the perspective of the person who the story is about. The third person would be Zach baked a cake. Zach cleaned the house. First person versus third person. The second thing is you have to clarify now, is it present tense or past tense? Present tense would be, I walk into the kitchen to bake a cake. I pull the recipe out of a book that my wife handmade and I head to the, and immediately head to the fridge to grab some eggs. Haven't even looked at the recipe, but I'm assuming that I need eggs. Okay, so that's first person present tense, right? I'm talking about it as if it's happening right now. First person present tense. The second is first person past tense, which would be last week I went into the kitchen to bake a cake. I grabbed the recipe from my wife's recipe book that she made by hand, and then I walked over to the fridge to grab some eggs. I just assumed that it needed eggs. So you can see how that's past tense. I'm talking about it as if it happened before. So before you tell your story, you got to clarify what, whose perspective, right? Who is the main character that we're describing all of this from the perspective of? Uh, the reason that I describe the Jokers robbing a bank as showing the obstacles and not describing the situation is because the story of the Dark Knight is Batman's. It's from his perspective. You could argue that it's from Joker's perspective, but uh, I'm talking about it from Batman's perspective. So the Joker's robbing a bank would actually be the obstacles, not the situation. Um, then again, you can make a case for a lot of this. You can see there's so much nuance, right? And, and Christopher Nolan would probably crush me in a conversation about this. <laughs> but those are the foundational things to understand before I get into the story's framework. It's that there are certain principles where it's it's an and relationship. You have to have this ingredient and this ingredient and this ingredient, not necessarily this ingredient, then this ingredient. Uh, You can move around the order to increase the experience or enhance, I should say, the experience of the story. The second is you've always got to clarify who the main character is and from whose perspective you're telling the story. Uh, Is it first person or third person once you've got that character nailed down? And is it going to be present tense or past tense? Now into the story's framework. We start with S, describe the situation. The situation is the context. It's where we're coming from. It's the background, the the setting the stage, if you will. In his book on writing, Stephen King said, a strong enough situation 
renders the whole question of plot moot, which is fine. The most interesting situations, he said, can actually be expressed as a what-if question. For example, what if vampires invaded a small New England village? Now you have a situation from which a story can grow. Uh, For one of my friends, it's what if I decided not to take over the family business like my dad had planned for? What if I just asked the owner of my company to make me the CEO? That's That's the situation of one of my personal stories. So you have this situation that you begin with, this context, this backstory, this background. Uh, where, where are we? Set the stage for us so we know where this whole thing is beginning. What is the current state of the character at the beginning of the story? That's number one. Number two is tell the trigger. Something happens to the character, to you, that causes obstacles to enter into the story. Uh, this I've heard this described by Robert McKee, a Hollywood screenwriter, he said, what attracts human attention is change. If the temperature around you changes, if the phone rings, that gets your attention. The way in which a story begins is a starting event that creates a moment of change. So a starting event that creates a moment of change. You describe the situation, your starting event, that creates a moment of change, which is tell the trigger. I'm going to give you an example of all this together at the end of the framework. But for now, you describe the situation or the backstory, background. Then you tell the trigger. What happened? What changed in the character's world? And then number three is you show the obstacles. Because of this change, because of this trigger, what's getting in the way of our character getting what they want? What obstacles or hurdles does the hero or the character now have to overcome to get to where they want to go? Regarding obstacles, uh, there's this book, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. He said, the obstacle in the path becomes the path. Never forget, with every, within every obstacle is an opportunity to improve our condition. Obstacles are key to a story. They're key to making people care. If you have a really compelling situation and a really interesting trigger you will get people to pay attention. You will get them to look and say, oh, I wonder what happens next. But if you don't have obstacles, some challenges or hurdles, be they external or internal, you're going to have a hard time getting people to care and stay engaged with your story. When I say internal or external obstacles, I'm talking about internal obstacles being personal pride, unwillingness to answer the call to adventure. It could be Uh, ego. It could be personal weaknesses, like you keep turning back to a horrible addiction. Those are internal obstacles. External obstacles are, uh, I'm driving down to Salt Lake City today, or Ogden, Utah, sorry, today. I always take the same road out of Hiram to go through Sardine Canyon down to Ogden. But when I drive up to the road to go through Sardine Canyon, there's a giant detour sign saying, please go the other way. And I look to my wife and I say, It's just dawning on me that I don't even know another way. I always go this way to get out of Hiram. So there's an external obstacle getting in the way of me going to where I want to go. You have internal, external obstacles. There don't always have to be external obstacles, 
but there almost always is some sort of internal obstacle, whether it be self-doubt, addiction, uh, another personal challenge or trauma or past failure that holds you back from moving forward. So that's a third ingredient of a story. You describe the situation, you tell the trigger, you show the obstacles, and then you reveal the resolve. One point I should make going back to the foundational principles for all this, in addition to it being an and relationship between all the principles and having to clarify the character's perspective, uh, we also need to clarify what the character what what the character's desires are, what the character wants. Um, what what are these obstacles getting in the way of? To continue, after show the obstacles, it's reveal the resolve. This part is key because when we see what obstacles are in the character's way of getting what they want, the next thing that we're waiting to see is what are they going to choose to do? We want the characters in our stories to make choices. We want them to decide on a path. I've heard it's more important that you decide than what you decide. You have to make a decision. There has to be some sense of resolve within the character. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good kind of resolve. Like I'm going to face my fears, overcome my obstacles, and crush these challenges. Sometimes the resolve is to retreat. It is to fall back into those bad habits or to that place of fear and hiding and to not go on the journey. So you have to reveal whatever resolve you came to in your story or the resolve that the character you're talking about came to in the story. What did they decide to do? How have they chosen to address the obstacles that are now in their way? The fifth ingredient is, and this one was a major uh, breakthrough for me, it was embed an insight. I've gone through lots of storytelling structures where there's just the structure of the story itself. But one idea I've always grappled and wrestled with is how do you teach people something through the story? How do you embed an insight or a lesson into the story so well that people get it without you having to explain it. I heard this described by Seth Godin. Oh, I don't want to botch this quote, actually. Let me see if I can find it. But Seth Godin one time said, if you have to reveal the punchline of the joke, then the audience will forget it in four seconds. But if... Ah, here it is. I found it. Okay. If a student figures out the punchline before you get there, they will remember it forever. But if you tell them the punchline, they will forget it in four minutes. So you've got to figure out a way to embed the insight into your story so well that people get it without you having to describe it. The most powerful stories are the ones where you Gather and internalize the lesson without anyone needing to tell you what the lesson is. You see a story about a struggling child who steals a baseball card from his friend. And then he lies about it to his friend. 
and he lies about it to his parents and to his friends' parents, and he starts to act offended at accusations, and he pushes people away, and it causes great internal internal turmoil. Finally, he chooses to give the card back, but all trust is gone at that point. Now, hopefully when you hear that story, you think to yourself, never lie, (laughs) never steal, never cheat. Hopefully the lesson is implicit. I don't need to explain to you the moral of the story. That's an easy example. It's not always that easy though. I was recently in a story skills um, session telling a story. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head exactly what the story was about. Ah, yes, I was telling a story about coaching my son's soccer team. When I got to the end of the lesson, or at the end of the story, I should say, I tried to summarize the lesson and tell everybody what it was or what it was supposed to be. Then when I paused for feedback, people said, yeah, that's not where I thought you were going with that. (laughs) I, I got a completely different lesson. Like I'm a little confused now. So I realized that I failed to properly embed the insight or the lesson into the story. I kind of told the sequence of events and then hoped that I could explain the lesson at the end. But going back to Seth Godin's quote, if you have to tell them the punchline, they will forget it in four minutes. But if they can figure it out before you get there, they'll remember it forever. It's not easy to do. This is sort of an expert level storytelling skill to be able to embed an insight so that people get it without you having to explain it or declare it. So always consider how you can embed an insight into the story, make the lesson obvious while you're telling it, rather than having to over-explain at the end. Don't get me wrong, it's okay to tell the moral of the story. I've found that the most effective way to do this, in my opinion, is to say as part of the story, It was at that moment that I realized and then say the lesson because now it's a part of the story. You're not over explaining after the story. You're telling the lesson as part of it. When you say it was at that moment I realized and then fill in the blank with the insight. So always try to embed that insight or that lesson into your story very naturally and make sure you don't lead people down one path, but then mislead them by going down another at the last minute, because that's what I did and it confused the audience. Try to keep people on the straight path the whole time, unless your intention is to take them on a roller coaster ride, in which case, again, we're getting into expert level storytelling there. So, so far you've got five principles. Describe the situation, tell the trigger, show the obstacles, reveal the resolve, embed an insight, and finally tell the ending of the story. Uh, Julian Shapiro wrote about this saying, storytelling is the art of strategically withholding information. It's about adding these stretches or sort of elongating the process of getting to the end so that you can constantly reel people in and get them wondering, how does this end? What happens next? I recently practiced telling a story about trying out for a musical in middle school. I walked the audience through this process that I went through of practicing and preparing for the audition and getting excited and experiencing all this peer pressure because I wanted people 
leaning in and becoming invested in what happened after the audition. I won't tell that entire story here. I'll, I'll focus on telling that story another time. But you've got to tell the ending at the right time. And that's the key to it, is you've got to time it right. Uh, going back to our original principle of it's an and relationship, sometimes it might be appropriate to tell the ending at the beginning and then cause people to wonder, well, how did you get there? And then you go into describing the original situation and showing the trigger and obstacles. No matter what sequence you follow, you've got to make sure that the ending is there and that it's clear and that there's a way for people to gain some closure about how the story came to a conclusion. Finally, after telling the ending, show the shift. Not only does the story come to an end, but the character has to experience a shift, a transformation. In my story about trying out for the school musical, I describe this shift from shy, timid kid who forgets the words to his audition song to full-fledged dancing, uh, you know, dancing monkey on stage, just loving the art of theater. There's this amazing shift and transformation that changed my life. And people want to know that. They don't only want to know what, what was the lesson and what was the ending. Those things are important, but they want to know what was the shift? What was the transformation that the character experienced? Because, yeah, lessons are great. They're important. And I want to see some closure. I want to see the story end. But more than anything else, I want to see how the character transformed or changed as a result of the lesson and the ending. I heard Ryan Dice once say that we as people love stories, but we crave characters. We crave to see how they will change. Will this person overcome their addiction? Will this person overcome that self-doubt or that weakness that keeps holding them back? It's not enough just to embed an insight and tell the ending. You also have to show the shift, the transformation that the character you experiences. Those are the seven principles of telling better stories. S-T-O-R-I-E-S. Describe the situation, tell the trigger, show the obstacles, reveal the resolve, embed an insight, tell the ending, and show the shift. If you implement those seven principles into your storytelling, you will engage more people, resonate with more people, earn the trust and affinity of those whom you seek to serve. Now, there's a couple other things that I want to share here. Um, <clears throat> we talked about defining the character defining the perspective that we're telling their story from. Uh, I've also talked about not leading your audience down a misleading path. If you're planning to go in one direction, don't tell the story in a way that inadvertently leads them down another. That's surprisingly easy to do because sometimes we get in our head this idea that we want to convey, but our story doesn't actually convey that idea very well. Uh, it more naturally conveys a different one. So you've got to be clear about what lesson your stories actually teach, not just the lessons that you want them to teach. There's a couple other things I'll mention. That is, you have to zoom in when you're coming up with stories. A big part of building a storytelling habit is recognizing that you don't need large, grandiose, world-changing stories to be good at telling stories. What you need to do is zoom in on the everyday moments 
where you learned something or where your mind was changed or where your mind was blown better yet. It's zooming in on those tiny little things that will ultimately help you build a great habit. The storytelling habit is the practice of zooming in on the seemingly ordinary moments of everyday life and turning them into insightful stories that move people. That would be my official definition for the storytelling habit. It is the practice of zooming in on the seemingly ordinary moments of everyday life and turning them into insightful stories that move people. So zoom in. Find the little things. Find the small moments every day. I like to say that every time your mind is blown or you learn something new or your perspective is altered, even a little bit, a story has taken place. I learned that about a year ago in the Story Skills Workshop. I was practicing telling a story to a group of people when one of the coaches said, you know, it's a little bit long. I'm not quite sure what the real story is here. Which parts stick out to you most, Zach? I was a little offended because <laughs> I felt like I prepared and told a pretty good story, but evidently it didn't resonate, so I had work to do. So I responded by telling her which parts stuck out to me most. I said, this first part right here and then the second part. And she said, it sounds like you have two stories then. Wow. She's totally right. I have two stories here, not just one. I have two separate stories because there were two different moments where my perspective was altered, my mind was blown, or I learned something. Those are the three three of the triggers that will let you know a story has just taken place. And you can notice what I did there by embedding that insight in, right? That was the moment I realized every time your mind is blown, you learn something or your perspective is altered, a story has taken place. I don't have one story here. I have two stories. That is how I learned the power of zooming in to find the smallest viable story. One other idea. Does your story have soul? Does your story have personality? Does it have you in it? I have seen speakers, storytellers, podcasters, webinar hosts, etc. who lack substance. That is, the quality and the composition of their stories isn't good enough yet. And that's okay, right? We need to get out there and publish and build a habit so that we can refine our message. But sometimes people get up and they try to force a message on you when it may not necessarily be there. And you can always tell that this is the case because these types of storytellers compensate for a lack of substance with an over, shall I say, abundance? Uh, or I'll just say too much. They compensate for a lack of substance and story with way too much energy. They're bouncing off the walls. They're using incredible enthusiasm to compensate for the lack of truly engaging and, and, and full material. But if the stories are real and if they're well told and organized and they have a clear insight, ending, and shift, then you should still tell them with lots of energy. You should smile and relive them, as Julian Shapiro says, when you tell them. Bring that energy into the room, but the power comes from the message itself, not 
from merely how you're telling it. Julian Shapiro made a great point when he said, you've got to relive the story as you tell it. Relive the emotions that you experienced when it actually happened. That's a really powerful insight there too, reliving the story. So make sure that your story has soul and substance, that it's true, that the insight is real, that it makes sense, that it's coherent, because then you don't need to compensate for a lack of substance with too much energy, too much hype. There are, there are plenty of people out there who are just screaming into their microphones, yelling at their audience, listen to me, listen to the lessons I have to teach you because they want to be heard, but the message isn't refined well enough yet that people will just listen to it. People, rather than listen to the storyteller for the story, they listen to the storyteller because they feel like they have to, because it's the loudest voice in the room. And if they're that loud, if they're that outgoing, then I should listen to them, right? Not necessarily the case. Make sure people are listening to a story to your story because they want to, because the substance is there and not merely because you're the loudest and most convenient voice. Convenience is a plus. Being loud is a plus, but it's secondary to a real, true, impactful story that has soul and substance to it. Last thing, when you're building your storytelling habit, set up a cadence. Decide how often you will produce a story and where you will publish it, where you will share it. Right now, at Power Selling Pros, I publish a daily email where I tell a story about customer service and sales. That's the kind of training we do. And I, e I email it to about 5,000 people every weekday. So it's a daily practice, a daily habit of telling these stories. I miss days, of course. I, I'm not perfect at it. Uh, I should be better. But I have a daily practice. I have a habit. People expect me. I recently went to an event and spoke at this event. And in the hallway, one guy came up to me and said, hey, I get all your emails. I feel like I know you. And that was a really powerful moment to me that he said, I feel like I know you. How many brands, how many companies get told, I feel like I know you as a result of the marketing emails that they send? My guess would be very, very few. So you've got to pick a cadence and pick a channel. How often are you going to tell stories? Where are you going to publish them? And be consistent. Show up every single day. Be there, ready to share something new. Follow the story structure to get something out there and zoom in on the smallest viable story. Your stories can be as small as the two-minute experience you had at a drive-through where you experienced bad customer service. It could be as small as the 15-second tearjerker moment that you had with your children one night when you looked them in the eyes, told them you loved them, and realized that there's nothing more important in the entire world than them. It's these tiny, seemingly ordinary moments where some of your most powerful stories come from. If you can latch onto those, pay attention to those. I've heard Bernadette Joie say that the best storytellers are also the best noticers and listeners. They're the best noticers and listeners. So notice those small moments and then organize them using this stories framework, S-T-O-R-I-E-S. Describe the situation, tell the trigger, show the obstacles, reveal the resolve, embed an insight 
tell the ending, and show the shift. If you incorporate all those elements, and it doesn't have to be perfect, right? You might have one line for one of the elements or maybe one word, just as long as you can take us on that journey. Because the reason the principles are there is not merely to help you organize the, the story, though that is true, but they're there because they're, they help guide the audience and help the audience feel something when you tell the story. Audiences feel something when they can see the trigger. They go, oh no. Or when they show when when they witness the obstacles, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me! And when they reveal the resolve, no, how could he choose that? You sh you shouldn't do that. You should do the other thing. And when you embed the insight, they go, wow, that's powerful. I'm gonna remember that. I was recently told that in a story I told where I worked intentionally on embedding the insight into it. Uh, I was told I'm gonna remember this lesson, and I thought that's powerful. This works. If you embed the insight, if you put these principles into practice, people resonate with your stories. So pick a cadence, pick a channel you're going to share them with. And then finally, the, uh, the last thing I'll say is start with an origin story. Whatever you do right now, whatever you want to be known for, whatever you want to get good at, try to go back and find the origin story. What moment perhaps a seemingly ordinary moment, what moment led you to want to pursue the path that you are on? And, and tell us that story. Describe the situation that you started in. Tell us the trigger that made you start thinking about this, but the obstacles that got in your way and the resolve that you came to to overcome those obstacles, the insight that you learned along the way, how it ended, and the ending would ultimately be where you are now, and show us the shift, the transformation that helps you get onto this path to helping people. So start with that origin story and then outline two or three more core stories, core memorable moments. They could be highs or they could be lows that have gotten you to where you are. If you begin there with an origin story and two or three core stories and you get those outlined and then start telling them through emails or podcasts or uh, live streams. That's another part of my storytelling habit is I do a show every single Friday for our audience uh, where I tell stories and I, I listen to uh, recorded calls of our customers and give feedback and kind of tell stories about what's happening there. But build a habit of telling that origin story and those core stories and just keep doing it again and again. I have found podcasts to be a great way to do this. When I go and get featured on a podcast, I find that every time I do it, my message becomes more clear and more refined. All right, folks. That's it for tonight or today, whenever you're listening to this. This is how to tell better stories, S-T-O-R-I-E-S. -E I appreciate you listening to me. If you have feedback or questions, I am doing coaching calls now where I walk people through this framework. I help you walk away from the call with your origin story scripted, your two or three core stories outlined, and a plan for your storytelling habit cadence. If you're interested, email me at Zach, Z-A-C, at Zach Garside, Z-A-C-G-A-R-S-I-D-E.com. We'll see you next time.